0: Uno, dos, tres... As we're uh, still getting ready here to get into God's Word this morning, why don't we just uh, open up our hearts to the Lord, just spend a moment waiting on Him if you need to grab your Bibles. might be a good time for that. Lord, we just ask you this morning that um, our hearts would be open to your Word. Now we ask you for a... Um, A a genuine uh, sense that we are being changed this morning. God, we pray that you would sanctify us as you promised to do in uh, John 17, to sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. God, would, would you speak to those who need encouragement this morning? For those who need physical healing, God, we ask you that you would bring physical healing to this place. God, I also pray for those who need to be in church, who uh, are struggling to get here. And God, perhaps there are legitimate reasons. Perhaps there's just a, a, a block for, for many others. God, I pray that you would, in the coming weeks, that we would just see a breakthrough of a movement of God in this church just by people desiring and hungering uh, to, to be with you and to be in your presence. Lord, we need you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you, preach to you this morning about the the faithful one. Jesus Christ is the faithful one. When Adam sinned, Adam was a literal man who really lived thousands of years ago. He is not a myth this is not just some kind of story cute story that some Christians believe in especially the ignorant but he was a genuine man and he had a wife named Eve and they are the father and they are the mother of all of humanity every person sitting in this room has come not evolved if not evolved over a period of millions of years that's not true but you have literally been created by god and you have come through our ancestors Uh, the first being our first father being adam and our first mother being eve every person regardless of what nationality ethnic background all of us in this room come from that one man that's biblical truth and uh, that's something that we need to reconcile with in fact uh it's no wonder if you take adam out of the scripture you take away a literal account of creation and the fact that there really was adam and eve and you turn the bible into just a bunch of, of stories the myths and fables who would want to come to church uh wh- why would we even need to have this here why would we even need to come and sit here every sunday morning if all we're going to do is have story time about a bunch of things that are not true and so what we are saying is, we are saying that the, the creation account of Adam and Eve is diametrically opposed to what we're taught in our secular society, and that is there is no God and uh, we've, we've all evolved. That's the story that we hear over and over again. That is categorically not true. Recently I was telling my children that in America we are coming down to really two options to believe in. Option A, number one, is Christianity. And if we're going to believe in Christianity, we understand that the Bible is really what it says it is, and it's true, that's option A. And the second option is atheism. That's the second option. And that's really what we are seeing over and over and over again man knows that there's a God the Bible says that very clearly in Romans chapter one but he suppresses the truth that is he he packs it down he doesn't want to hear about the truth that there is a true God he doesn't want to hear that and so we have Christianity we have following after God this true God. Or we follow the rest of society and say, well, we, we kind of think that there maybe is a God. We really can't. We can't prove that there's not 100 percent, but we're just not going to go with it. Most people in America are not going to convert to Islam. Most people. It's not appealing. In fact, it seems uh, rather backward it seems rather in a in a time long ago we look at the way that many uh people in that religion dress and we just think that's a third world type of thing america is not going to be involved in getting converted into a religion like that unless they were forced that's the only reason that that could happen neither are people going to probably just generally drift into something like hinduism and all of the gods of the middle east We're too sophisticated for that. We're too smart for that, so to speak. And so the two options, the minority option, which very few people are taking, is the road of Christ. And I want you to understand something very clearly this morning. The road to follow Jesus is very narrow. And Jesus said, few there be that find it. If you're going to be a Christian, you are going to be different. You're going to be different. And there are people sitting in this room this morning, and you're trying to live for the world, and you're also trying to live for Christ, and it's not possible. It's not possible. And this morning, there are those in this room, there are those out in this community, and there are those who come to this church who aren't here presently this morning who are being ripped apart trying to serve Christ and yet also trying to be appealing to the world in a sense of hey we're with you not not just being tactful and kind things that we should be but trying to go with the flow of the world and at the same time trying to go with the flow of Christ and if you're in that category really you're going with the flow of the world Because Jesus was very clear when he said, it is not possible to serve two masters. And so there has to come a point in your life where you're either going to receive Christ for who he really is, or you come down and you say, no, I'm, I'm done playing games. I'm not going to receive Christ. I'm going to go off onto my own path. And you get into secular America, secular society, and there are tens upon tens of millions of people headed in that direction. But if you're a Christian and you follow Christ, you recognize that the biggest problem The biggest need that we have is the fact that our sin needs to be dealt with. Our sin needs to be dealt with. What do we do with sin? Recently, I was on the porch talking to a man who was and is in the Muslim religion. He was a kind man. He was a gracious man. We had a wonderful conversation. But one of the things that he kept saying to me was, we don't need a mediator. We don't need someone to go between us and God. We go right to God, and he's not three persons, or as he put it, three gods. And we kept explaining to to him that it's not three gods, it's three persons, but one God. But he kept saying, listen, we, we, we we don't need someone to go between us and all I kept thinking to myself and sitting there and trying to have a meaningful conversation with him something that would actually last and something that would actually sit with him in his mind was the question what do you do with your sin what do you do with your sin does God just say well if you come to him and say i'm sorry I forgive you and that's it? What about the justice of God? Who gets punished for our sin? The Bible is very clear in the Old and the New Testament that God is a just God and that sin requires a a punishment. God can't just simply wave a wand and say, you're forgiven. It has to be on the basis of something or someone. And this is why we are so glad that God himself is not only God, but he also became our mediator on our behalf to take care of the sin problem. Because you can do a whole lot in life, but there's one thing you cannot do without Jesus Christ, and that is be forgiven of your sin and cleansed of your sin and actually know God. And that's only possible because one, namely Jesus Christ, came down to this earth and he identified with us by becoming like us so that he might bear the wrath of God that we just sang about earlier, so that we might have someone who can actually deal with our sin. I would just like to ask you this morning before we get going here actually into the text. What about your sin? What about your sin? Have you ever really thought, have you ever sat down and really thought about the biggest problem in life is the fact that you have sin on your hands. And that somehow that needs to be dealt with. Somehow that needs to be taken care of. And this is why we marvel at what Jesus Christ did. Because what he did was, he laid aside the glory of heaven to come to this earth to say, I identify with you. That's what he's doing. When I was in college, I remember a professor was was telling us a story about uh, a person who said, if God was really like us, if God was really going to be able to sympathize with us and understand what we're going through, they said, you know what he would do? He would become one of us. And he would come down to this earth and he would understand the pain and the misery and the turmoil that humanity goes through. He would would come out of heaven and he would become one of us and go through the misery of life so that that he might understand what it's like to go through this life in hardship. And all of a sudden the answer came back, that's exactly what he's done. He has become one of us to identify with us not only in the good times, but also in the bad. Now, when we looked at our text last week, what we saw was that Jesus Christ identified with us in his baptism. And so we have the the baptism narrative as Christ goes into the water, and he comes up out of the water, and we saw the Holy Spirit uh, descends like a dove. But it's interesting, after this powerful experience this powerful baptism where the holy spirit comes down and empowers jesus for ministry all of a sudden we see something happen that we might not expect and that's why i'd like you to turn with me to mark chapter 1. mark chapter 1 verse 12. mark chapter 1 verse 12. mark chapter 1 verse 12. 12. so we need to think in our minds here. He's just been baptized. He's identifying himself with with sinners. He is saying, "I'm one of them." But now he's going to identify with us in adversity, and we see this here in, in Mark in chapter one, verse twelve. It says, "This the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, immediately drove him." Out into the wilderness. That is, it was the will of God, the will of God, the Holy Spirit, to immediately drive Christ into a barren, isolated place. This is what often happens. We see a mountaintop experience with God, something powerful and profound happening and we're walking in the power of the spirit or we see it it happening in scripture where jesus is baptized and you would think he would just go right into his ministry but that was not the plan of god the plan of god was immediately after he was baptized the holy spirit drives him In a couple other places in in Matthew and Luke, it says he leads him, but it's the same thing. There's There's a compelling of the Holy Spirit where Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism, and immediately the Holy Spirit is moving within him and compelling him to go into the wilderness alone. And there was no one who could go with him. At this point, he didn't have all of his disciples. His ministry was not public yet. And yet he just goes, you can picture Jesus Christ coming out of the waters, everything is going good. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove and immediately the Holy Spirit takes him into this isolated place where he's completely alone. And when we think about that, one of the things that we need to understand is that oftentimes the will of God is to drive us into a solitary place a place of isolation a place of being alone christ knew what it was like to be absolutely alone and the will of god was for him to be alone sometimes we think the will of god is just for us to do this and that and everything's wonderful and great but the bible says here very differently that the will of god was actually to drive him into a place that was solitary. This is the one who is able to identify with us in being alone. You know, one of the things that God is going to do over and over in your life, even with people surrounding you, people all around you, is bring you to a place where you're alone. In fact, maybe coming to Christ uh, cost you relationships. Maybe you came to Jesus Christ and all of a sudden everything began to change and all of a sudden you began to get this sense of, of loneliness. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, I have all sorts of friends or I have at least all sorts of people around me. But if people could really look at the inner workings of my heart they would actually see someone who's lonely, who's alone. And it's in that moment of being alone that's dangerous. Because it's possible to take that loneliness and say, I've got to somehow fill this loneliness, whether it's for a girlfriend, whether it's for a boyfriend, whether it's for friends that you feel like you don't have and you wish you had, whether it's something at work and you wish more people appreciated what was going on with you at work. Maybe it's in in just your circles in life. You feel like nobody really notices you. You're You're just kind of alone. Have you ever possibly thought, and maybe you've even sensed this in your own life, that it's actually the Spirit of God who has driven you in such a loving, kind, compassionate way out into the wilderness so that God becomes your everything. And he's going to do that. And I promise you, he's going to do it over and over again in your life. You're going to have times of highs where you're going, God is so good. Worship was awesome. Man, I just feel like relationships are going good in my life. Everything seems to be fine. And then, boom, right down. All of a sudden, loneliness hits. And you feel like, what's going on. I found it interesting in in this book um, by J. Oswald Sanders. He writes a couple things that I wanted to read to you this morning. I think this is profound and I think it's something that we really need to deal with in the Christian life and recognize that our Lord and Savior often went to lonely places and we see this here in our scripture this morning. No one with him. Completely alone. Listen to what Sanders says. He says this The Old Testament prophets were lonely men. Enoch walked alone in a, decad- a decadent society as he preached judgment. His compensation was the presence of God. Jonah was alone in a vast city, a heathen city of millions of souls goes on to say, Gregarious Paul was a lonely man, misunderstood by his friends. you ever feel misunderstood by your friends? Misrepresented by enemies, deserted by converts. How poignant are his words to Timothy where he writes, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 15, he says this, You know that everyone... In the province of Asia has deserted me. Can you feel the loneliness of Paul? Everyone, he says, has deserted me in Asia. It's a huge area. Not just a few people. He says, everyone's deserted me and has left me. A.W. Tozer writes this. He says, most of the world's greatest souls have been lonely. Most of the world's greatest souls, A.W. Tozer says, have been lonely. Then he quotes a little poem by um, F.W.H. Myers, which says this. On without cheer of sister or daughter, yes, without stay of father or of son, lone on the land and homeless on the water, pass I in patience till my work be done. You ever feel lonely instead of uh, fighting the loneliness in your life it might be just that it's the actual spirit of God who is driving you to a place where God becomes everything to you so that you know him And so that it's not that you say, I don't need relationships anymore. I just want to become a monk or a hermit or something. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see, it's not that attitude. It's just saying, you know what? God's put me in a place right now where even though there's people all around and there's a sense of loneliness in my heart, God wants to cultivate that loneliness so that I actually have a relationship that goes deeper and deeper and deeper with God. It doesn't matter if you're um, possibly a teenager in this room and you're struggling with that. God says to you this morning, I want to be your everything. Or if you're 80 years old this morning and you say, I'm lonely. Or if you're 50 years old, I'm lonely. So there goes Jesus off into the wilderness, into a desolate place alone. It's interesting, the number 40 comes up. The Bible says here that he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. We know in the Old Testament that Moses was prepared for ministry, if you remember, for 40 years in Midian. Before he had a public ministry, God was cultivating him and preparing him in the the desert place. Elijah had this wonderful meal sent by God, and yet the Bible says after he had eaten that meal, in 1 Kings chapter 19, that he also went 40 days without food. In Acts chapter 7, in fact, if you'd like to turn with me there this morning to Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, and we can look at what we were just talking about here in verse 29. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Look at verse 30. Now, when 40 years had passed, that's a long time. A long time of preparation, that's what's going on. A long time of testing, a long time of waiting A long time of God saying, I'm going to prove your character. Then in verse 36, this man, that is Moses, led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness. For how long? For 40 years. It's a long time. It's a long time of preparation, it's a long time to be tested. And our text here in verse 12 says in Mark chapter 1, if you want to go back over there, verse 12, chapter 1. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, no food, alone, waiting on God. The way this is written here is it's actually saying he wasn't just tested for a day and then Satan leaves, and then uh, everything's good the next day. This is continual testing. This is continual tempting over and over and over again, day after day after day for 40 days. And by the way, I might add, this continues even after the 40 days. And there are many who feel like God has put them in a spot where it's just relentless opposition day after day. It's like, when is this going to stop? When's it going to stop? And yet that's exactly what God the Father had done with Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. So he's testing him, he's preparing him through isolation, but he's also testing him through spiritual warfare. Notice with me there what's happening in the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan for forty days. Satan is a real being. Satan actually means adversary, and uh, people think of Satan as this little make-believe guy with a pitchfork who runs around after people. But that's that's not the view of of scripture. He's a he's a real being, and he's actually out to destroy people. In fact, he's out to destroy you, and he's got a host of demons that are following after him who are blinding people to the gospel, who are wrecking people's lives. The Bible says here that Jesus is being tempted or he's being tested here in the wilderness. Now, one of the things that we have to make clear is that Christ was not having this inner compulsion to sin, Satan doesn't come to him and say, hey, look, why don't you do this? And Jesus is going, like us, when we're tempted to sin, oh, I wish I could do that. I just long to sin. Oh, I'm being so tempted. That, that's not what's going on here. In fact, if you go with me over to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, Jesus doesn't have a desire to sin. In fact, he has a sinless nature. The scripture is very clear to tell us that. And uh, go over to James chapter 1. 1, James chapter 1, we're going to look at verse, uh, verse 13, James chapter 1 verse 13, let no one when he is tempted, it says here, let no one when he is tempted say, I am being tempted by God. The Bible is very clear that God doesn't tempt anyone, but notice what it also says. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Is Jesus God? Yes. Well, then he can't be inwardly tempted with evil. He's not desiring evil, but he's being outwardly tested. And if you remember back in the Garden of Eden, Adam also had an innocent nature one that was not stained with sin, and the tempter comes in, and that's what's going on here. But Jesus Christ even exceeds the innocence of Adam. He's, he's the righteous one. He's the one from whom life comes itself. He says, the text here says, For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So Satan is coming to him, this one who brings adversity, this one who opposes the will of God, is coming over this period of 40 days used by God to test Christ to see if Christ will give up on the mission that he was called to do, just like Adam had given up. God had created Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden, and instead of passing the test, they fail it. And so Satan comes to Jesus and he says, well, okay, we have another one, another innocent one, a righteous one. Let's see if we can get him to be tripped up as well. And what we have here is we have a battle between Christ. This is a cosmic battle. This is a supernatural battle. The battle is between Christ and Satan himself. Now, we need to be very clear here. Uh, These are not two equal forces. It's not like God is here, Satan's right here, and they're just fighting each other, and this battle is just going to go on and on for all eternity. God is sovereign, and God is in charge. And yet in this world, he has allowed Satan, because of sin, to come in. And the Bible even says, in one sense, to be a ruler of this present age. He's the ruler of this sinful system that we live in. And so we have this battle going on. We have this battle between Jesus and we have him being tested or being tempted by Satan. I want to show you what's going on here. Luke is very speedy. He cuts right through, or Mark is very speedy. He cuts right through this, this, uh, this narrative very quickly. But let's go to Luke chapter 4. We see here what's, uh, what's going on here in the, in the temptation. Luke chapter four. Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter four verse one, returned from the Jordan. That's the river, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. So this is a, this is a fast. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I don't know if you've ever fasted. I don't imagine anyone, including myself in this room, has gone anywhere close to 40 days. But uh, we read and we're told that if someone fasts for that long, that after that period you have this intense hunger as as a sign that you're possibly beginning to starve. 40 days is about the max. Any person can go uh, without food. And so Jesus here is intensely hungry. And in verse 3, the devil says to him, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now that seems rather innocent, isn't it? You're hungry, you, you want bread, you've got all power. Why don't you make yourself a sandwich? Why don't you turn this stone into into bread? Is there anything wrong with desiring food when you're hungry? The answer is no. But what Satan is doing here is he's messing with the timing of God. The timing of God. God's will for him was not to eat at that exact moment and not to turn a stone into bread. But Satan was coming to him and saying, hey, let's thwart the timing of God. In essence, what he's saying, a good thing that you want. It's definitely a good thing. But let's put the timing of God aside. Let's rush God a little bit here and you can turn the stone into bread. Do you know it's possible? As David Gusick says, it's possible. to, To want the right thing. At the wrong time. The right thing at the wrong time. Let's take sex, for, for instance. It's possible to have a desire to have sex. That's a good thing. If you have that drive, God isn't going, oh, no, what's going on here? This is odd. This is strange. Let's not talk about this. But what does God do? He says, let's put it within the boundaries of marriage so that the timing of it is between a woman and a man who are married it's possible to want the right thing at the wrong time and so the devil is coming and saying, if you want food there's nothing wrong with a Big Mac have, have, have some fries turn this into a nice meal fulfill your desires you have these desires just instantly gratify whatever you want But I want you to notice what Jesus does if you go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8 Deuteronomy chapter 8 Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, says this, And he humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, Here it is, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you keep your thumb there and you flip back to Luke chapter 4, notice exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verse 4, Luke chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So Satan tries to thwart the timing here of God. Jesus passes the test. Let me just say this in passing, too, as we talk. Maybe there's something in your life. God is saying, wait. Wait. Just wait on me. And you're even saying to yourself, but I could could have it right now. God in his timing is saying, hold on. In my timing, I'm I'm God. Just just wait. Verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. I want you to remember here, Satan's a liar. He's the father of lies, so this is not completely true. The truth is he does have power. He is in charge of the world's system, as we said a moment ago. But the world is God's. He owns it. He's in charge, and he's even in charge of Satan himself. He has all authority over him, all authority over darkness. This, uh, is, uh, Satan has no right here to give this away to Christ, but he's so proud, he's so full of himself that he says, look, I'll give this to you. In fact, I'd, I'd like you to go over to John chapter 12 just to show this to you as far as the, the power of Satan. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse uh, verse 31, Uh, Jesus is talking and he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who's he talking there about? He's talking about Satan. What's he calling him? He's calling him the ruler of the world. And so Satan is taking that and twisting that. If you go to 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, not John, but 1 John, written later toward the back of your. Bible, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says this We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, the power of Satan. Satan is manipulative. He's, he's lying here, but he's telling a half-truth. He does have power. He doesn't have ultimate power. And by the way, we don't really know what kind of form he came in. Was it physical? Could Christ physically see him? It seems like that's definitely the case here. In the beginning of the temptation, was it just something in Christ's mind as he was thinking about and Satan was just whispering things into his mind? That seems very possible. And then later on in these different temptations that we're reading about, he actually appears to him. But what is he saying to Christ? He's saying, look, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You can be in charge of all the kingdoms of this world. After all, Jesus had come as the king to rule over all. But he's trying to thwart the plan of God. He's he's saying to him, listen, you can have all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just do one thing, bypass the cross. Take the easy road. The plan of God is what he's after. He's, He's first after the timing of God with the bread. Now he's after the plan of God. You don't... Listen, you want to be king, you can be king, that's fine. And listen, you can be king of the world without actually even dying on a cross. And he whispers the same thing to believers today. Listen, you can be a Christian and take the easy road. You can live any way you want and still be a Christian, that's fine. After all, God's gracious and God's forgiving. Listen, if you'll just give give it up, give up the hard road, the lonely road. Don't go, that's a hard road. Don't you understand people are going to see you as strange and odd, and after all, you're going to be lonely. You're going to be all alone. Just give it up. Let's thwart the timing of God. Let's let's thwart the, the, the plan of God. So he says, I'll give you all authority in their glory for it has been delivered to me. That's a lie. In a sense, it's true. I will give it to whom I will. Notice verse 7 of Luke 4, the brazenness here of what Satan says. He says, if you then will worship me, bypass the cross and worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered and quoted, okay, let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Isn't that exactly what we find in verse 8 of Luke 4? You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He says this If I were to bow to you and do your will, I'd actually be worshiping you. I'm not going to worship you, I'm going to worship God. There are many, many, many people who are saying, I'm not actually going to worship the devil, I'm not going to go into devil worship. But in essence, they are because they're just bending over to his will, taking the easy road. I'll just take the easy road. He comes at him again a third time. Look at verse 9 of Luke 4, verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, this is interesting. Satan actually quotes scripture from Psalm chapter 91. We'll look at that another time. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. What's he do, though? He twists it. He takes it out of context. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Hey, Jesus, why don't... Why don't you, I'm going to take you here to the, to the pinnacle of the temple here. We're going to go up here to the temple. Why don't you just jump off? And after all, if you jump off, God's in control. He's got power. But uh, if you jump off, he'll take care of you, and uh, he'll make sure that his angels all of a sudden bear you up, and you'll fall without hurting yourself. It's like an angelic parachute. That's what's going on here. Let's 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 tempt the the power of God here. Let's instead of God being in power, let's 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 you be in power. Let's let's test him. That's what he's saying. And Jesus answered again in Luke 4 there, he says, and Jesus answered, and by the way, we won't go back, but it's right from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16. And Jesus answered him and it is said, that is from the scripture, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to test God. know if you've ever been on a high point, you just all, you get that urge, like, am I going to jump? Out of a Ferris wheel or something, you get that, there's people who just desire, let's, let's just jump. And that's exactly what Satan is saying here. Just take a jump and and God will take care of you. And Jesus comes back and he comes back a third time. He comes back here with the word of God. And this is the point. Over and over as Jesus is being tested, word of God, Deuteronomy, word of God, Deuteronomy, word of God, Deuteronomy. Every time Satan comes, it's word of God, word of God, word of God. And we say that because there's many people who are spending all their time talking with the devil devil I get rid of you in the name of Jesus they just have this long conversation with the devil in their prayer and yet they're not anchored to the Word of God and the Bible says that the way that we do spiritual warfare is yes there's times we rebuke Satan I rebuke you in the name of Jesus or like Jesus would say in simple terms come out but the way that he shows us to do spiritual warfare is to know the Word of God Word of God saturated in our life. Word of God saturated in our life. Word of God saturated in our life. Here, here's what we need to do. The next time you are sensing you are just under some kind of demonic temptation, some kind of demonic test, the number one thing he's going to try to do is pull you away from this. Don't open that Bible. You'll get this sense of, of not wanting to, not wanting to read the bible what is that that is a demonic warfare going on there where the enemy of your soul is saying don't get into this because it's god who has spoken it's god's word that overcomes and i'll tell you when we overcome that and we get into god's word all of a sudden the devil's power is resisted and he flees from us as we stand rooted in the Word of God. There is nothing like being under the attack of Satan and then coming under the authority of Scripture as a means of protection. If we don't know the Word of God, we are going to be tested, and unfortunately, we're going to fail the test. Lastly, I close with this. He's not only tested through spiritual warfare, but he's also tested through the unknown. Look with me there at our verse in Mark chapter 1 the unknown and the dangerous. And he was with the wild animals. Now that's uh, that's interesting because uh, Luke and Matthew don't talk about wild animals. But this is saying uh, Jesus went into the desert and he's alone in the wilderness This is showing us the fierceness of it. I don't know if you've ever gone out into the the darkness at night alone or into the woods alone at night. It can get a little creepy. And um, this is saying he went into the wilderness here. This time there would have been bears and lions and leopards and snakes and all sorts of things that could have really harmed him. The unknown. The dangerous. I remember, I think it was last year, I went around to the back of our house and taking out the the garbage and there was a skunk, scared me half to death. <laughs> I get scared of a skunk, I, I definitely wouldn't last in the wilderness for 40 days with lions. <laughs> but there's a danger here. And this is saying that Jesus has gone through all sorts of things that you've gone through. He's identifying with us in our humanity, being tempted like we are with sin, and with danger, and with loneliness. He's felt that. You're lonely? Christ has been lonely. You've been tempted? He's been tempted. You've been in dangerous and unknown situations, and you're going, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Everything's just scary right now. He's been in dangerous and unknown situations. And you can picture in your mind here, there's two different stories really going along. Because in Genesis chapter 2, you have Adam in this lush paradise surrounded by the animals. The animals are just friendly. Everything, Hello, Mr. Tiger. Everything's just going wonderful. And yet you have Jesus after the fall. And the lions are like in Daniel's lion's den where they're fierce. And there's loneliness. And Jesus is in the middle, middle of the wilderness. So you have the first Adam is in this paradise, this lush paradise. Everything's going right for him. Listen. And he fails, he fails, fails the test. And because of Adam, just as we started this morning, because of Adam, all of us have been plunged into sin. Everyone sitting here in this room has been plunged into sin and darkness because of Adam. And yet you have Jesus over here in the midst of the wilderness, not a lush paradise. And he passes the test and he does it for us. This is the last scripture I want to show you, but go with me to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. <clears throat> Hebrews. Let's start at the end of verse uh, of chapter two in Hebrews and then we're going to jump to four, and then that's, we're going to close. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Hebrews 2, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Listen, next time you're going through loneliness, you seeing this, this loneliness, just gnawing at me demonic adversity or unknown dangers, peril in your life, here's the first thing that needs to go through your mind. Jesus has been there. He knows exactly what I'm feeling, and it was the will of God to drive him into the wilderness. It was the will of God. Now let's go to chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. We talked about the ascension this morning. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now what do we do? Now what do we do? We have Jesus pass the test. First Adam fails. Jesus, the second Adam, passes the test. Now what do we do? Answer verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, he says the answer is, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. You feeling lonely? Have you given in to sin this week? Have you done things that you shouldn't have? Well, there's one who didn't give in. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, run to him. Find grace. There's hope this morning because there is one who is identified with us that we this morning might have mercy if I could ask the worship team to come, and we're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to sing our our final song this morning. Yeah, let's praise the Lord this morning. Let's praise. Father, thank you. Would you stand with me? Let's uh, stand as we close.